How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time. I'm also known as the Outlaw Preacher, and here we are back at it again. Another weekend, another Saturday, another Q&A day. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, um, anything you'd like to talk about, debate topics, discussion topics, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Uh, we answer questions in sequence of order that they come in. And also, I uh, got a few things I'd like to talk about. Today, I got on the board, and also, um, we're going to be taking a look at some more questions from Reddit. So, I hope you enjoy that. I really enjoy doing it. <laughs> Just looking at some of these ones on Reddit. There are some good ones. There are some doozies. Um and there's some that just make you wonder at the level of intelligence of the human race. So <laughs> we're going to be diving into it. So this is going to be a fun one today. So I hope you got your Bibles, notepads, and pens. I hope you got your tea, your coffee, your breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, whatever you're having. Come join us at the table and uh, open your Bibles. And again, what we try to do here is we try to take everything and bring it back to the Word of God. What does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say? My opinions, my feelings, all of that are irrelevant, and it only matters what Scripture says. So, with that, we're going to just dive right into it. Uh, one thing I want to announce uh, right off the bat, just so everyone is aware, um got a little bit of an update regarding our one site uh our merchandise site uh, redbubble unfortunately we are going to be shutting that down the redbubble site we're going to be shutting down um reason why well we already it was after uh, we had established our own our own site on uh, the site of redbubble now what it does this is where you can get merch like shirts and sweaters and bags and all kinds of different goodies and stuff and what we do is you upload your own art uh, art your own designs they the the company provides the material all the shirts and sweaters and bags and buttons and everything else that that they offer they provide the material you provide the artwork and they will put your artwork on their material and you can sell it they take a large percentage because well it's their material and they give you a small a small percentage uh afterwards um now it was after we had set up our own uh, account on there they they went and upped some of the prices and we weren't happy with that and they made it rather exorbitant rather stupid and we were really weren't happy about that there's nothing we could do about that but recently, they've gone and done it again. Now, Redbubble has actually brought in a, a tier-based pricing system, and it's just they've messed it up, and it's just so stupid expensive and ridiculous and difficult now. We're just pulling out. So just to let you know that the Christian Coffee Time Redbubble account is planning to be shut down because the Redbubble company is just ridiculous uh they just unfair just nonsensical with their pricing and it's just it's not right and they're making it just you can't even do anything about it so i just want to let you know that's what's going to be happening so if you uh, uh think oh i want to go check out uh, cct's uh, red bubble uh, and you don't find it that's why so just letting you know it's unfortunate but there's nothing that we can do about it we 
are looking into maybe is there somewhere else that we could put up some good Christian material and that kind of stuff. We're going to be looking into it. So if you have any suggestions, you can let us know. Um, you can contact us through the ChristianCoffeeTime.ca website. You can contact us through that and just let us know if you know of anything. For Now, we're based in Canada, so just FYI if that makes any difference. All right. All right, so with that, um, as well, uh, to let you know, as I already mentioned it, speaking of which, we have our Outlaw Gospel bookmarks are now up on our Etsy, however, where we have bookmarks and notebooks and posters and all kinds of other goodies there um, of all different kinds and types and styles, as well as uh, gospel tracks, which you can also get free uh, gospel tracks from our website, christiancoffeetime.ca free downloadable uh gospel track pdfs you just print them out yourself and also a free e-track so we make a evangelism for uh for free there so if you're looking for some material to be able to hand out so make sure you get some of that get busy Alrighty, so with that um today we're going to be looking at a few interesting points few interesting things and uh, that is creeds. Now, you hear me talk about it quite often, uh, about the, you know, commentaries, catechisms, creeds, and whatnot, and councils. And uh, what does the Bible actually have to say about it? Now, some people have challenged me on this. And uh, some of you may even recall when people would talk to me about this and debate me on this in different times, was uh, people ask, so you don't believe in the Apostles' Creed? You, you don't use the Apostles' Creed. You have a problem with the with the Nicene Creed, with the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to actually take a look at them. And I'm going to show you why I don't really use those kinds of things. Now, the Word of God is very clear. And I don't really understand the need to have to use any other sources. To describe my beliefs I, I honestly that that's one thing I, I've thought about it is that I find it actually honestly confusing I find it actually confusing like why would you want to quote a denominational man written out creed and not just quote Bible verses you spend all this time memorizing uh, some denominationals statement of faith creed when you could literally be memorizing scripture <laughs> and the word of god is more powerful and more pointed and more clear and describes everything so why won't you just quote bible verses instead <laughs> like uh, uh, the one thing that's brought to my attention is uh, how many of you uh, know and have heard of uh, the great preacher dl moody dl moody the great evangelist D.L. Moody. He started. He, he's the founder of the Moody Bible Institute. Uh, D.L. Moody. <clears throat> now he is a powerful, powerful, famous preacher and evangelist. And uh, he was asked actually uh, for a creed. Uh, so what's what's your creed? What's your creed? And he says, my creed's Isaiah fifty-three. He didn't quote the Westminster Confession or the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, or any other thing, uh, any other confession. He said Isaiah 53 was his creed. There you go. There you go. You don't need anything else. 
You don't need anything else. Isaiah 53 really sums it all up. See, that's my point. The, it, the, the time and effort you put into denominational distinctives and creeds and councils, all that, you could be putting it into the Word of God and the Word of God alone. I, I just, this is just my thing. Uh, I just don't understand why people become so obsessed with this stuff. So we're going to take a look at some of these things. I'm going to take a look at the Nicene Creed and take a look at the Apostles' Creed. Alrighty. So good morning, good morning. How's it going? Hey, good morning. You're my favorite criminal to listen to. <laughs> yep, yep, I'm a criminal. That's not a joke. I'm located in Canada. <clears throat> and it is actually against the law to speak about, preach about the kind of things that I do. The Bible. Because it goes against the social justice warrior soy boy nonsense garbage of here in Canada by our soy boy prime minister. And uh, because it hurts some people's feelings, uh, they've decided to criminalize fundamentalist Christianity. And the kind of things that I talk about and, and promote from the word of God uh, actually is against the law. I am not allowed to speak of, on certain topics and things by law. And the fact that I do makes me an outlaw. I've been charged uh, by many people accused of hate speech, uh, criminal activity, all that kind of thing. So I'm owning it. I'm the outlaw preacher. So I'm actually a criminal for Christ. So it's not a joke. <clears throat> anyway, so let's get down into it, shall we? Let's take a look at some of these things. Now, I'm going to take a look firstly at the Nicene Creed. Now, how many of you have heard of this? How many of you have heard of the Nicene Creed? You may have heard of the Council of Nicaea. You may have heard of the Nicene Creed. Have you ever actually read it? You see, this is the other thing too. Um, a lot of people who talk about these different things have you actually sat down and read it thoroughly? Actually take a look at this thing that you say you adhere to, you, you hold to, you quote, and you, you believe. You know, many professed Christians will say things like that and won't actually know what it says. Won't actually have paid attention to the wording, to the theology, to the doctrine of it. Or you may, you may have read and memorized it when you were a little kid, and now that you're older, you say, well, I hold to it, but you forget what it actually said. And when you were younger, you didn't actually realize what was actually in the things and what they actually promoted. So there's a reason you need to go back and examine these things. Examine the stuff that you say you believe. Examine the things you say you hold to. You need to actually thoroughly examine the doctrinal statements you say you adhere to, the denominational distinctives you say you, you adhere to, and all the rest of it. You need to examine these things. So let's take a look at one. All right. We're going to take a look at the Nicene Creed. Let's move my screen here over to the side. Oop, messed that up. That's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> okay. So the Nicene Creed, we believe in one God. Okay, that's good. The Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. All right. 
and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. Okay. For for us, <clears throat> excuse me, for us and for our salvation, he came, came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried the third day. He rose again, according to the scriptures. Okay. He ascended to heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So far. It sounds pretty good so far. But here we go. And people say, well, what's the problem with it? What's your problem with it? Well, it's a twofold thing. We'll get to it. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. There you go. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Look at that. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life and to life in the world to come. Amen. Okay. Now, with that being said, we, uh, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It will say, well, Catholic just means universal. Okay, well, you can argue that if you'd like. You can argue that. Because the, technically the word Catholic, you know, so the meaning of the word Catholic means universal. So which universal church is it referring to is the question, is the thing here. Because if we actually take a look, just moving my screen back. If we actually take a look, at the Nicene Creed as it came from the Council of Nicaea. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is the Council of Nicaea was not Christian. It was not born-again Christian. Now, the Council of Nicaea was, uh, came to be shortly after the formation of the Holy Roman Catholic Church by Constantine in the 300s, as he wanted to unite his empire, the Roman Empire, but he didn't want to do it uh, militarily, he, so he did, decided to do it religiously. And so he gathered uh, bits of every belief system of the Roman Empire, it's, uh, poured it all into one big pot, mixed it up, put Christianity on top, pulled out this great big conglomeration mess. And he established his own bishops and leaders and rulers of this new religion. And shortly thereafter, they formulated their own councils to, to figure out and determine their own beliefs. And the Council of Nicaea, Council of Trent, and these others are actually Roman Catholic councils. The Council of Nicaea is Roman Catholic, not born-again Christian. 
So yes, the word Catholic means universal, and people argue that in this case. But the problem about this, though, is, well, which universal church are you referring to? The creed itself of the Nicene Creed is the creed of the Council of Nicaea, is the creed of the Roman Catholic Church. Then we take a look at the other issue. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the thing about this, the one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, this is the Roman Catholic baptism of water baptism for the forgiveness of sins. They established this in their catechism. The Roman Catholic catechism flat out states that water baptism cleanses you, purges you, washes you clean of all sin, so you are sinless. That's what it says in the catechism. Yes, I have read it. Now, in the Roman Catholic Catechism, it says that the waters of baptism cleanse you, purge you of all sin, so that you are sinless. And uh, so, and this is what you do to, uh, one of the first steps that you do to convert to Roman Catholicism is you uh, confess the Roman Catholic uh, doctrine, and you get water baptized to become sinless, and you start all your masses and everything else. So the, so the, the Nicene Creed it, it, by it stating that the Catholic Church is the true church, that the Catholic Church is the apostolic church, which is stupid. It does not go back to the apostles. It goes back to Constantine in the 300s. And, uh, and it, the, 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 the Nicene Creed promotes baptismal regeneration, which is a false gospel. So if you say you adhere to the Nicene Creed, you are saying that you affirm that the Catholic Church is the true church and that baptismal regeneration is the true gospel. That's why I reject the Nicene Creed. So, you see, it, it sounds great as you're going along, but this is why I'm always promoting, why I'm always telling you folks that you need to pay attention closely to everything that's being said that to everything that's being promoted you need to pay attention because uh, uh, you listen oh that sounds great sounds great sounds great uh, but if if you're not paying attention you can just miss this one point you miss this one little thing and it's right at the end just this little blurb just this little bit and they argue and they try to override they'll say well catholic just means universal but you need to pay attention to where it's coming from what it's about what it's teaching then i see in creed teaches that the Catholic Church is the true church and that water baptism, baptismal regeneration, is the true gospel. That's heresy. That's straight up heresy. So we have to take the Nicene Creed and throw it in the garbage. Okay? So there you go. So the Nicene Creed is garbage and should be thrown in the garbage. As we took a look at it again, let's read the last the last blurb again. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke to the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. There you go. Let's go look it up. Go pull it up. Nicene Creed. Read it. Read it. And yes, uh, well, I am working on trying to get it so that I can actually pull up these windows right on here so you can see it 
yourself uh, still learning how to work all this tech and stuff so um we've just been so busy we haven't been able to get some of these functions and, and things set up but i want to be able to put up like little windows like this and uh, and play videos like uh, play a clip from joyce myers and then refute it i'd like to do reaction videos to some of those kinds of things so this is stuff that we have in the works that we do plan on bringing up so be praying we could get some of it because that'd be awesome i'd love to do that get the videos of different people or whatever different things and uh, do reactions to them and uh see what does the bible say so be praying that we can get that going i'd really enjoy that okay let's take a look at one more so the nicene creed is nonsense garbage Let's take at the next take a look at the next one, the Apostles' Creed. So again, if you just go Google it up and take a look, Apostles' Creed. What does it say? So let's read this. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Okay. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. He descended to hell. Let's keep reading. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay, so the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> the Apostles' Creed says we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And they put a little star. Now, granted, they put a little star and the, down there is a note as uh, meaning universal the, the true universal church okay um see again the thing about it is similar to the nicene creed they're trying to use the same kind of language as the nicene creed um, catholic yes the word itself catholic means universal and all of that but just a question though now this is just a, a bee in my bonnet is well you don't use certain words because it causes confusion because if someone who doesn't understand the actual definitions and and actual intentions of these things would be confused by that would, would seem to think that you're saying that the the catholic church is the true church well no 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 catholic just means universal so you're spending more time trying to clarify then if you just use something else, it's the same reason why we don't use the word mystic, mysticism. Well, even though the word mysticism just means one who believes in unseen realities, one who believes uh, uh, in the existence of, of God, one who believes they can have a relationship with the divine, you know, that, it, that in and of itself, the, the very definition meaning of the word mysticism is innocent, but we don't use the word because of what it has come to be associated with, and you'd be causing a lot of issue and problems and confusion. So you don't use certain words. Now, okay, so granted, you could argue in this case that, 
while in this confession this creed as uh again what group was this the christian reformed movement so protestantism not catholicism the protestantism actually brought out the apostles creed um so okay granted but why are you using the word catholic you're just trying to sound orthodox that's all it is you're just trying to sound orthodox but beside the point okay you could argue that catholic just means universal in this context and not the the roman catholic church that kind of thing okay granted we could we'll give that we'll give that but we still are left with one other massive massive problem and that is the apostles creed says jesus went to hell do you not think that's a little bit of a problem you don't think that's just a little itty bitty bit of a problem and that he went to hell no jesus did not go to hell if you actually take a look now yes i know i know uh, some bible versions use the word hell in the actual scriptures that's a mistranslation from the original koine greek if you actually go to the koine greek and you take a look at that exact same passage the passage says sheol it says sheol not hell hell is the place of judgment of damnation that's where the wicked the sinners the unsaved go where, where they are tormented in flame until they are brought up before the great white throne judgment sheol is different now the term sheol some of you may remember me talking about this the term sheol it denotes uh i is before the ascension of jesus christ before the ascension of jesus christ the afterlife was uh set up differently where instead of going up to be with the lord you would go down to sheol and if you were a saved individual you would go to this side of sheol which was paradise and across a great gulf fixed between and the other side was hell judgment uh, uh, the place of torment where the wicked the sinners the unsaved would go paradise abraham's bosom hell the place of torment and these are two compartments separated by a great gulf between down in sheol jesus when he gave up the ghost he bowed his head and gave up the spirit his spirit went down to sheol to paradise where it says in scripture he preached across the gulf to the spirits in prison he didn't go to hell he went to paradise but the apostles creed says jesus went to hell now this is a massive massive problem because in the doctrine why some groups some denominations some uh so-called christian movements out there teach that jesus did go to hell because he had to he went to hell and, he, and jesus suffered in the flames of hell to help finalize our atonement well that's a bunch of heresy that never happened the bible says massively otherwise but uh, the whole jesus went to hell thing is complete absolute heresy the apostles creed teaches that jesus went to hell so why would you want to affirm a creed hold to a creed memorize a creed that's heretical that's full of confusion and heresies and problems and issues 
you don't hold to creeds. I have nothing to do with that. So, so many people say, well, we follow the Apostles' Creed. We follow this confession. Have you ever actually read it in detail? Have you ever actually studied these things? Have you ever looked at your denominational's statement of faith, your denomination's doctrinal statement? Have you ever actually took a look at some of these things to see, is it actually biblically proper? You'd be surprised. You'd be actually surprised how much of these different things are not biblical. How many of these things are full of issues and flaws and heresies, knowing or unknowing. So, sometimes it's just mistaken, but still. You need to take a look at some of these things. So, again, what is your creed? What is your creed? People ask me, well, Brother Matthew, what's your creed? I have a whole book. <laughs> the whole book. This is my creed. What it says. What it says on the pages. As the scriptures say, Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. First John 5, 20. That salvation is by grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We're saved, we're saved by belief, by repentance and belief of the gospel. Mark 1, 15. By confession of the mouth of the belief of your heart. Romans 10, 9 to 10. That if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're given everlasting life. John 3, 16. What it says is what it means. All you need to do is quote scripture. You don't need to quote the, uh, the fancily orthodox uh, written confessions and creeds by man. What does the Bible say? Quote that. Quote that. So just some things. I just want to point that out. You may take offense to this. This may bug you, may bother you. Well, maybe you need to go read your Bible then. Just say. What's your thoughts? Any thoughts, comments, questions, issues, insights? Please go ahead. Ask away. Feel free to chime in. So a friend of mine uh, I was quite surprised uh, the other day messages me and it says that they came they uh, to, they were in a Dutch reform denomination Dutch reform very staunch hardline dogmatic Calvinistic exceptionally Calvinistic and all the rest of that and uh, they started uh, watching some of Christian Coffee Time's videos on Calvinism and refuting Calvinism. We have a whole playlist on refuting Calvinism. And they started watching that, and then uh, they messaged me and says, uh, asked if I would be interested in their book collection. Uh, they have a whole big book collection on John Calvin and other Calvinistic writings, and they asked if I was interested in having it having their collection i'm like no and they say well if you don't want it then i'm just gonna burn it <laughs> praise the lord there you go that's what you do with heresy that's you do with unbiblical nonsense get rid of it throw it out burn it throw it in the garbage it, it all you need is the Bible. You don't need the fancy opinions of men. What does the Bible flat out say? You don't need bookshelves and bookshelves and bookshelves of additional books and fancy writings to try to help you understand the Bible. The Bible helps you understand the Bible. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit uses Scripture and Scripture interprets Scripture, not denominational distinctives or creeds or catechisms or commentaries interpret Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. You don't need anything else. 
oftentimes what happens when you when you try to interpret the bible through the lens of other people's opinions and other people's uh, catechismic ideologies you're going to end up so messed up you're going to you aren't going to know which way's up and which way's down that's just what happens you can call me crazy all you want i don't care you can call me names all you want i don't care you can say i'm messed up and i you just don't understand calvinism you know that's that's the argument that cults use that other religions use when you're arguing with a muslim and muslim apologetics they say the same thing you just don't understand islam you're arguing with a jehovah's witness you know, you just don't understand Jehovah's Witness. You argue with a Mormon or something. You just don't understand. It's the same thing. You you just don't understand it. No, that's the thing. I don't understand it because it's completely unbiblical and nonsense and so messed up that it doesn't line up with Scripture. I'm surprised you think you understand it. Because what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's all you need to know. So... You can tell me I'm wrong and I just don't understand it all you want. But all I do need to understand is what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Alright? And yes, I'm using this one today. This this is my study Bible. Uh, this little one that you see me use all the time this is my study Bible. My special one. It stays here. I don't like taking it up. This is my street preaching Bible. This is my special one. It's waterproof and it's damage proof and all the rest of it so i like this this is my prized possession so i got all my stickers and stuff like that. we also have some of these it's a limited uh limited time offer that uh, will come if you uh buy uh if you go to our etsy and you get one of these outlaw gospel bookmarks we'll be throwing in while we have them that's limited while we print them some waterproof outlaw gospel stickers and you can put them on your Bible or stick them on your bumper or whatever, and your bookmark will come with one of these stickers. And for the first, for the first while, for the first few, uh, first few that get our bookmarks, you'll get one of those stickers. So just putting that out there. You don't have to. I'm just saying it's there. Okay. So with that, uh, again, I just want to go over this do you folks have any questions regarding catechisms creeds commentaries councils any of this stuff while we're on this topic before we move along as i know that we're kind of just scratching the surface we're just uh, tossing a stone into the shallow waters on this one right? and uh, just want to make sure we cover all the bases here before we move along if you have any comments questions issues insights debates you want to fight with me on this you want to debate me on this you want to discuss this chat about this feel free chime in uh, i'd love to hear from you folks if you agree with me let me know so i know i'm not all alone in this <laughs> i appreciate your fellowship and uh, and all this if you agree with me just let me know just give me a thumbs up just let me know i'm 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 not standing alone on this hill um but again I I'm feel very strongly regarding this. I, I I have let's put it this way. When I got saved back uh, several years ago, there that I, I came out of occultism and witchcraft, and I got born again, saved by my Lord God Jesus Christ, and I repent of my sins and believe the gospel. I I I did get deceived a little bit into that whole orthodox 
reforms big conglomeration mess um and because well, it's just a yet another deception as the enemy couldn't have my soul so the enemy was going to try to get my attention try to get me messed up so that so so just go falling from one deception to the next even though i was saved going to try to mess up my mind and so i i actually did fall into a a form of well i believe the gospel of salvation by grace but a hard line works and you gotta you gotta follow the works you gotta keep the commandments you gotta keep the law and all this and i started falling into the whole apostolic orthodox kind of thing and and then the lord's like uh no <laughs> pulled me back and started showing me and i had to repent of that and and uh, i was falling into the whole catechisms and the creeds and all this stuff because well i thought well, christianity is very codified and christianity is very structured and it should be very structured and we got to protect ourselves in the traditions of christianity and i just i didn't know what i was doing and so the lord reined me in and helped me to see what was happening and and taught me about the simplicity of the faith and that you don't need the traditions and what is called orthodoxy today is not biblical and what is called Christian traditions today oftentimes is not biblical. And there's so many problems with these things. And so I had a I had a lot of unlearning to do from my past and on the how my brain was so messed up and all of that. And I had to I had to relearn the truth. And I did it by uh, what I would do is I, I ignored everything. Ignored everything. All other writings of everything. I ignored everything. And uh, I would put the Bible, uh, audio Bible, on loop. And I would just listen to the whole Bible over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I, I would read through it, uh, read it and read it, and it, just the Bible, just the Bible, just the Bible, just the Bible, nothing else, nothing else. And to the point where, uh, where I would question everything with just pure, just what did the scriptures say? And I learned that this is our tradition. This is our creed. God's creed. God's creed is sufficient. We don't need anything else. We don't, we, we don't need to listen to anything else. Nothing else matters. That we have to be very, very careful of what we give our attentions to. We have to be so exceedingly careful about what we put on our bookshelves. It may sound great, may look great, but is it great to us or is it great to God? We talked about greatness yesterday, about what is greatness in the eyes of God. You see, there's much that we see as great writings and great teachings and all this kind of stuff. Great men and women, women of God, seemingly. But does God call, the, call them great? Does God call it great? See, what would be considered great is if it lines up with the Bible flawlessly. If it lines up with the scriptures, okay, great. It's good teaching. It helps, it helps, it just uh, gives some clarity and understanding of what the Bible flat out is saying. But if it contradicts the word of God even remotely, then it's dangerous. It doesn't matter how close, if it's, if it's close enough, there is no such thing as close enough. 
there's no such thing as close enough it either is exact it either is lining up with scripture or it's not there is no nebulous middle ground gray area where it's kind of close enough no 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 if close enough is still error close enough is still heresy it either is or isn't it it either is completely backed up and justified with scripture without contradiction or it's not and it's dangerous it doesn't matter what anyone else says about it and i'll fight tooth and nail on that one <laughs> i'll die on this hill it, for example we take a look at the absolute heresy of the limited atonement doctrine and i'm always going over that one because i hate it because it's garbage it's dangerous it's a doctrine of hell i honestly believe that and if you disagree you can disagree that the atonement of jesus christ was not limited to only the special select chosen elect that's that's heresy that's blasphemy that is altering the very work of jesus christ and changing it to another gospel making God a liar that he did not love the whole world like the Bible flat out says he does. The word world means world and is not a word that is designated to a limited specific, but rather is a general all-inclusive. World, all, whosoever, any are general all-inclusives, not limited specifics. What the, what the Calvinist does by teaching that kind of thing that these well these mean the the world of the elect any of the elect that whosoever of the elect they are literally rewriting the bible to fit the catechismic ideologies of john calvin heresy and jesus when he uh, uh, as it says in first john 2 2 he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only but also the sins of the whole world world means general all inclusive meaning anyone in the world can be saved he made the way of salvation so that anyone just as it says in peter it says that god is not willing that any should perish god is not willing that any should perish. well that's any of the elect no 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 that's um, any as in general all-inclusive god is not willing that anyone should perish he doesn't want that to happen and he makes a way of salvation so anyone can be saved he doesn't restrict it he doesn't remove it god did not make some to go to heaven some to go to hell that's heresy god did not do that nowhere in the bible does it say that nor does it teach that you actually have to monkey with the scriptures cherry pick the verses alter the words rewrite the actual definitions of the words in the bible to make it say that what is your creed is your creed line up with the teachings the ideologies of man and denominational distinctives or does it line up with the bible what it says is what it means study the bible stop studying creeds study the bible stop studying the catechisms study the bible the words of the bible go to the greek and hebrew of the bible bible alone interpret the bible with the bible don't interpret scripture through the lens of the ideologies of men don't do that scripture scripture alone what it says is what it means so yeah um okay now um Oh, there you go, Mike, uh, Mika again. All right, this is the second time you've brought in uh, racism, anti-Semitism into the group. I'm sorry, but I'm banning you from the group because we do not uh, allow this here. 
I've told you before, what you're saying is disgusting. What you're saying is unbiblical. What you're saying uh, about uh, the Jews and all this kind of thing is, uh, is so wrong, you need to repent. And if you're not saved, you need to repent and believe the gospel. You need to repent of this, your wickedness, repent of this, your sin. Okay. All right. Oh boy. We're going to get more and more of that as we go along, this kind of thing. All right. But uh, like I was saying, it, uh, it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what other people say. Uh, opinions and feelings and ideologies, this kind of stuff, it doesn't matter. Well, well, other books and other sources, some are good, some are not. And we got to interpret all things from Scripture, just as the Bereans did, as they held Apostle Paul accountable. They didn't just take whatever Paul said. They didn't just take whatever Paul said. They took what Paul said and then, and then examined it, checked it by Scripture to make sure it was proper. They searched all Scriptures to see if these things are so. And uh, so all because someone could be of a certain denominational line distinctive doesn't automatically give them a free pass. All because they're a pastor doesn't give them a free pass. All because they got diplomas and degrees and all this doesn't give them a free pass. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old they are, how young they are. What the Bible says, it needs to be examined and checked and double-checked, triple-checked. So, there you go. Um, Abby says, when I got saved, I too fell for Catholicism because my entire family are Catholic, but not even a week later, the Lord showed me very quickly exactly what is wrong with it. He is truly great. Amen. Amen. And you see that the Spirit of God will draw you. He will show you. As Jesus said, the Holy Ghost, whom I will send in my name, the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, will teach us all things and cause us to be in remembrance of everything. Right? Christ has told us. And he'll, he'll show us and cause us to be in remembrance. He is our teacher. We sit down with the Word of God. We pray and ask the Lord for help and wisdom. And we search the Scriptures. Now, when you come across something you wonder about, oh, wait a minute, what, what is this verse saying? Stop. Back up. Go over it again. Go over it again. Go over it again. Get in mind what the whole context is saying. Now, just wait. Don't build off opinions and beliefs and doctrines just from that. Hold on to that. Keep reading. Keep reading. Search the scriptures. Where else in the word of God does it talk about it? Now do the word studies. What do the words mean in this? Because we could read it, we could come across with a, a wrong idea of what we think it's saying. But if we interpret the actual definitions of the meanings of the words, it helps to clarify, oh, that's a saying with the Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. Make sure we understand. Now hold that. Where else in the Word of God does it talk about this? Okay, and then you build up and, and uh, uh, rightly divide the Word of Truth. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's how you do it. That's how you're supposed to do it. That's the Scripture. It's not, wait, wait a minute. Oh, what does that verse mean? Close your Bible. Go get someone else's book. And go through some catechism. Oh, this is what so-and-so says they think it means. So that must be what it means. That's what you don't do. You don't do that. 
you, you don't do that. Now, you can see what other people's uh, thoughts and whatever. Yes, in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, but they're not the interpreters of the word of God. Your pastor, the preacher, the teacher, the writer, whatever, are not the interpreters of the word of God. The Catechism Creed Commentary is not the interpreter of the word of God. The word of God is the interpreter of the word of God. There's only one interpre interpretation of the word of God, and that is the word of God. Do you agree with that? Would you agree with me on that? Some people may ask, well, why do you get so worked up about it? Why do you talk about this all the time? Well, first off, my response would be, why wouldn't you get worked up about that? And number two, why am I going on this all the time? Because this is a problem. Because this is a massive, massive, massive problem. Because the vast majority of what, what is called Christianity today has fallen into that error, that problem of, uh, of not properly interpreting the word of God. Thinking that scripture is optional, scripture is just recommendation, scripture is the authority, but you interpret it through other lenses and that scripture kind of takes a back seat. It's it, that the Bible is just kind of an in addition to all your catechisms that they confuse and frustrate the gospel. They confuse and frustrate the word of truth. That's what many people do. And that's a big problem. And we need to fight against that. We need to learn how to do this properly. So that's why I'm on here uh, trying to promote this, trying to get this idea across. So there you go. Any comments, questions, issues, insights, thoughts, debates, whatever, go ahead, ask away. I'd be glad to hear from you. Okay. So again, to summarize, as we went over, we uh, talked at the beginning here. Some of you may or may not have seen this is uh um we went up, we read through the nicene creed and we found some massive massive problems in the nicene creed doctrinal heretical error in the nicene creed where it promotes that the holy roman catholic church is the apostolic church and that baptismal regeneration is the true gospel is what the nicene creed promotes then we took a look at the Apostles' Creed, where it sounds good, sounds good, sounds good, and then says flat out says Jesus went to hell. And then it talks about, down later, it says how the Catholic Church is the true church. And we can, the people argue, well, Catholic just means universal. And, you know, okay, whatever. But the thing is that it, it says that Jesus went to hell. And that is a major, heretical, blasphemous problem. It causes great confusion and error and problems there. So you see, this is why you don't hold to, the, to other people's interpretations. You can't ride into doctrine on the coattails of someone else. You got to do the study, do the work yourself. And yes, it's work. You got to work at it. You got to study and do the due diligence. Uh, studying the word of God uh, to be a student of scripture. Just as you would go to college, university, school, and you sit down, you thoroughly go through all the tests and studies and readings and exams, all these things. You'll do that for anything else. You'll do that for all kinds of other things. You'll go, you'll great detail, great laborious work at your job to learn skills and stuff. Why won't you put that kind of effort into studying the Bible? A casual reader of scripture 
is no student at all. And Satan deceived a third of the angels that stood in the very presence of God. And you read your Bible occasionally. What makes you think that he won't deceive you? You need to learn to protect yourself from deception and error. You got to know what it is you say you believe. And do you not think that you're, that the, the guarding of your soul and of your mind, that the guarding of doctrine should take precedent? Some things to think about. So that's what I want to say on that one. Um, so I hope that's been a help. Uh, I hope that has given you something to think about. So give this some thought. Examine what you say you believe. Examine it. Check it thoroughly. Check it thoroughly. All right. All right, so we're going to move on to a, a Q&A se session here. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights you'd like to talk about and you want to just uh, throw out there, please go ahead. Feel free to do so. We're going to take a look here at some questions on Reddit of what people have uh, uh, of all the different beliefs and religions and whatnot. Uh, they're where they write in questions for professed Christians to answer. So we're going to take a look at some of these. All right, one second. I had it up here, but I guess it closed on its own. Ask a Christian. All right. Uh, uh, just uh, one question here in the comments before we move to this question by uh, boggy revelation 9 13 to 15 with the euphrates river drying up do you think the angels have been released no uh, not yet uh they're not released till later on and at the point where they will be released uh yeah that hasn't that hasn't occurred yet as we see in this at uh, Rev the time of revelation 9 uh, that's not the period that we're at when we take a look at these things because, well, the Antichrist hasn't been revealed yet. And that occurs after, as as we see in all, in all of this. So, no, I do not believe the angels have been released yet. Uh, it's, still, it's still a building up that we haven't even seen anything else occurring in the Middle East by way of a man uniting the world in peace and then bringing the peace treaty and all this kind of stuff and the temple hasn't even been built yet so there's a lot that still needs to be done before we even kind of get to that kind of thing so yeah i no i i don't believe that the angels have been released yet okay um okay so in reddit and ask a christian Okay, and ask a Christian, we have a question here. I hate God and don't know what to do. Alright, does he clarify this at all? Okay, I hate God and don't know what to do. I tried putting my faith in God. I tried putting my faith in God, but nothing ever changes. Did you change for him? He always seems to bless those around me, yet I am left in the dark. Well, to what extent did you do? Did you fast and pray? Did you actually, uh, or did you think that all because you, you one, two, three repeated after me that God then owes you? Or like, anyways, I kind of I hate God now and don't know what to do. I lost my voice from cursing out the sky the other day. Unsure how to get out of this mentality. Um, 
Okay. But, so without further context, only leaves me to kind of speculate, uh, to assume. So, um, but just going by what's said here, it looks like you went into this whole thing with the wrong idea, the wrong attitude. I don't know what religion, what what denomination that you're you're referring to. Because, like, for example, if you're following the what's called Christianity of Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn, when you think that because you 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 confess Jesus of the prosperity gospel that God didn't give you a billion dollars and now you're angry, well, that's not Christianity to begin with. Um, and furthermore, let's say you, uh, you you tried putting my faith in God. Okay. Um just by that wording there i tried putting my faith in god that shows a, a liberal ecumenical mentality understanding of the bible because there's no mention of jesus there's no repent there's no repentance no no gospel nothing about the cross i tried putting my faith in god well even the devils believe in god and tremble but what about jesus did you put your faith in christ alone did you go to the cross did you repent of your sins and believe the gospel like any of that well if you didn't well then you're not saved and what does god then owe you so you now you're getting it then you get angry because nothing happens well most likely because you did not get saved and but you're seeing others around you that are saved and god is working through them but not you because you're not saved you're not his child and then you get angry at God, and you, and you say you lost your voice from cursing up the sky. That shows no conviction of sin, no conviction of righteousness. So therefore, no Holy Spirit, because now you're cursing and blaspheming God, which no true born-again Christian would do. 1 Corinthians 12.3 So, uh, and you say that now you just don't know what to do. How about get saved, bud? <laughs> How about... Repent of this thy wickedness and get saved. Believe on the Lord God Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel according to scripture. And then the Lord will help you out. That's what I'd say. Would you folks agree? All right. Okay. Here's an interesting one. How do you practice unconditional love as taught by Jesus Christ in a world where we often value conditional love based on personal interests and social norms, etc.? How do you practice unconditional love as taught by Jesus Christ in a world where we often value conditional love based on personal interests and social norms? Well, You see, this is one where I like to, um, use, for example, the whole racism thing. There's so many people put more favor, more love towards one race, one culture over another. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, for example, that uh, in Christ, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. The Bible says that all people are made in the image of God. The Bible says that all the nations of the earth are one blood. So we see the unconditional acceptance of people in general, understanding that that's, that that uh, 
raising or lowering people based on skin color, language, nationality, culture, whatever else is exceptionally ungodly, unchristlike, unbiblical in every way. Um, God couldn't care less what color your skin is. He couldn't care less what language you're speaking. He couldn't care less what geological location you're at. He couldn't care less about that. All God cares about is your soul, whether you're saved or not, whether your sins is forgiven or not. So we see, first off, we see the unconditional acceptance of humanity in that category as we were all made in the image of God. Okay, so this is where we start at, is how we base this. Now, to understand unconditional love, we have to understand the unconditional view that God has towards humanity in that way. And then we see his love, now in all of this, his love, his judgment, these things is based in a spiritual context, not physical. Not physical. You see, unconditional love is we, we view... Blah, words... We view love from a physical aspect that someone has to earn our love. They have to earn our respect. They have to earn our favor in this kind of way. And that uh, we don't love people we don't know. We only love those that we know that have earned it kind of thing. But then we see, okay, but God's love, when he talks, when God talks about love, he's talking about it from a spiritual context, from a spiritual aspect that he looks at the soul. For God so loved the world. He didn't love the things of the world, but the world in this sense is the people in the world as he loves their, loves us in, uh, in regards of soul because he wants us to be saved because he's not willing that any should perish. So what kind of love are we talking about when we're talking about unconditional love? See, we see unconditional acceptance as a as human species but we see that because of sin we have fallen away from the lord so but he so loves us and that he doesn't want us to be condemned he wants us to be with him but to be with him we must have our sins dealt with so grace then makes an appearance grace the unmerited favor of god that i didn't merit it i didn't earn it i don't it's not a reward i don't deserve it but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me so you see grace now, grace overlooks. He looked beyond our fault and saw our need, as the song says. Grace looks past the surface. Grace does not judge after the appearance. Grace looks past the skin, past the, the muscle, past the bone, all the way to the soul. And it looks straight to the heart. That's what grace sees. Grace gives people a chance. Grace, uh, uh, as we see, unconditional favor of God and that we are to mirror this now how to do this you look at how god did that to you you look at how much of an absolute horrible wicked wretched individual you are i am before the lord and how we are undeserving but rather we are fully deserving of hell fully deserving of the wrath and judgment of god fully deserving to be ground under the foot of the lord in all of his wrath uh, tread under the uh, under the foot of god in the great wine press of the wrath of god what we deserved but he saved us by grace and if god can do that with you you can do that with someone else who just who's just being annoying so we see the unconditional love broaches upon the understanding of grace and how God sees the human race. What is unconditional love? 
cross? And and was the love of God conditional? Did he only love certain specific group? Or did he do this for all the world? He did it for all the world. So we take a look at this. People say, well, well, I'm not God. I can't do that. If you, if that's your reaction, if that's your reaction, well, I'm not God, I can't do that. You're just saying that to excuse your own hatred, to excuse your your own racism, to excuse your own bigotry, to excuse your own uh, in, uh, inhumanity uh, to other people, to excuse your bad attitude because you do you just don't like certain other groups, certain other things, and because the the sins of certain people make you hate the people, well. You just don't understand how much God hated you before you got saved. But he saved you. Angusha love looks beyond the sin, beyond the fault, and sees the need. How much we are enemies of God. And that those people can be saved too. They can have Damascus Road experiences just like you did. Well, you don't know what they did. You have no idea how close you came to hell either. God gave you a chance. Give them a chance. Unconditional love is grace. Understanding grace, the depth of grace, the understanding of grace. If you want to understand unconditional love, you got to understand grace. All right. Let's move on. So in Ask a Christian subreddit, there's another one. Do you really believe that everything in the Bible is factual and the real word of God? Yes. Completely. Completely. From cover to cover. As Ken Open says, and even the cover. Because the cover has my name on it. So yeah, absolutely I do. Because God cannot lie. He's not a liar. He's not the author of confusion. And, and he said this is his word. And when you put the actual Bible to the test and you test everything in it, it backs it up. It justifies itself. You cannot disprove the word of God. Um... Some of you might remember, I think I've said this before, pretend I haven't said it, uh, back when I was on Periscope, um, I actually had for a few months, I had an offer of $10,000 to anybody who could prove actual, verifiable contradictions in the word of God to thusly disprove the Bible as being uh, infallible. If you could prove actual contradictions in the Word of God, I'd, I'd award you $10,000. And this went on for months. I had many, many debates. And every single time it was, it was shown, nope. It was just people twisting scripture, twisting verses, put cherry picking and all the rest of it. Um, not actually studying the meanings of the words and all of that. And, uh, no, and we proved it that there are no contradictions in the Word of God in that way. It, it, is, it is infallible. It, what it says, what it means. And all of the... The historicity, the, the, the names, the people, the places, the events, the things, the doctrines, it all backs up, proves itself. So yes, uh, do you really believe that everything in the Bible is factual in the real word, real word of God? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Okay, here's a question. Again, folks, if you have any other com comments, questions, any of this kind of thing, please. Um, 
And uh, if I miss any, just let me know. Just remind me. Sometimes I get distracted and I don't notice. But we do see one here by Melissa. Um, in the Bible, it it's mentioned a few times. What does it mean to cast lots? I've seen it a couple times. Okay, like, uh, for example, we see in uh, Jonah, and we see in Acts, uh, or they would cast lots, and they cast lots, they drew lots. Um, now, this was something that we could see back in this dispensation uh, before the completion of the Word of God, as the Word of God is now our oracle, that, uh, that there were some some instances in scripture where uh, and we actually study the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, uh, most often, this is kind of like a uh, drawing straws. Um, they uh, cast their lots also could be just cast their vote, cast, uh, cast uh, their, their decision. Uh, the, the, and uh, so, but for example, um, the one, I think it's the one in Jonah where they're in this on the boat in the big storm and they 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 uh drew lots to see who was the guilty man and because how it worked is that is that uh god would cause like for example you have all the straws or of a certain length except one would be short that god would cause the guilty person to draw the short straw there things like this would happen during the times of the prophets um uh, the, the, this uh, this kind of stuff was seen throughout the Bible, uh, casting lots uh, um, or casting bets or casting your vote or whatever, and that the Lord would orchestrate this thing. And uh, the devil took that, corrupted it, and brought it into his own. And this is where the idea of divination came from, uh, or the cor corrupted sense, where the devil took something that God was doing and then corrupted it. Like uh, God has his prophets, the devil now has his prophets. And God had his way. Like, for example, he spoke through the high priest with the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, these special stones uh, would light up and as uh, a yes or no. And the devil took that and used that now in stone scrying. Right? God, the devil takes everything that God was doing down through the Bible and, cor and made corrupted variants and versions of it. Now, do we do casting lots or this kind of stuff today? No, because now we see that the Bible is now our oracle and God speaks through this and he speaks through scripture. He doesn't need to use Urim and Thummims. He doesn't need to use lots. He doesn't need to use any of that kind of stuff. We have no more prophets today like we had in, in the Old Testament period of time. As we see, God speaks through his word now and not through other means as God would... Uh, guide people and speak to people through many means dur during that dispensation of pre the canonization of the of the bible so hope that makes sense <clears throat> okay here's a question like i said some questions in in the sub are just mind twisting and others are, are pretty good okay here's one how do you deal with the problem of uh, of divine hidedness 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 divine hidedness i'm a christian myself and this is one of the biggest issues from my faith if god wants everyone to be saved then why does he reveal himself to some but not others wouldn't it be better for him to prove the skeptics that he exists so that he so that 
they may be saved as well. Plus, why did he used to reveal himself unambiguously so much to many people throughout the Bible, yet it doesn't happen like that today? Okay, let's break this down. Now, in apologetics, uh, the learning of answering questions to defend the Bible, learning how to give simple answers to difficult questions, like I've talked about before, one of the things that you do when people ask you a question is don't answer right away. But let it let it just mull around just 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 a little bit and break it down. Break it down. You want to break down because you want to look at the at the question. You also want to look at the questioner of where are they coming from, so you can kind of understand where the question is coming from. Uh, what that what they are assuming by the question and it can also give you some insight of reading between the lines and all this other kind of thing as well as breaking down the question itself can help give some understanding okay so divine hideness that god restricts himself he hides himself from certain people kind of idea okay does god do that okay so i'm a christian myself okay there's we'll just assume that you are a born-again Christian this is one of the biggest issues for my faith okay if God wants everyone to be saved you mean like the Bible flat out says he wants that God does want everyone to be saved not everyone will but God desires and he wants that they would okay God wants everyone to be saved then why does he reveal himself to some but not to others Okay, hold up. Do you see what that phrase right there assumes? This is why you read it slowly. If God wants everyone to be saved, then why does he reveal himself to some but not to others? How do you know he doesn't? How do you know he didn't? Because when we actually take a look at the word of God, we do see that the gospel went out into all the world he showed himself to the whole world. Okay, wouldn't it be better for him to prove the skeptics that he exists? You mean like coming to earth? Being born of a virgin? Having all the prophets speak of him, show of him, and work miracles to millions and millions and millions and millions of people all throughout the Middle East? all throughout Israel, working miracles upon miracles, and then sending his apostles into all the world, working miracles and signs and wonders in his name, proving the validity. You mean, you mean like that? You mean like, like he did? Wouldn't it be better for him to prove the skeptics that he exists so, so that they may be saved as well? Okay, well, there's also the other aspect here that all those who seek me shall find me, God says. Since God isn't a liar, he's not the author of confusion. And since God flat out says, if you seek for me, you will find me. So this only then begs the question regarding the skeptics that they aren't seeking God. They're just denying he exists because, well, it doesn't agree with their understanding of stupid logic. Uh, they evolved from a rock and a monkey or something. And uh, 
and they just deny God exists, and they say, well, God just didn't show himself to me. Well, you haven't sought his face yet. The Bible says if you seek his face, you'll find him. So clearly then, you haven't been looking for him. Let's keep going. So wouldn't it be better for him to prove to skeptics he existed uh, so that they be saved as well? Plus, why did he used to reveal himself unambiguously so much to many people throughout the Bible, yet it doesn't happen like that today? Again, how do you know he doesn't? Because I I know of, I've read of, and I've listened to the testimonies of tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons upon tons of people that have actually had run-ins with God on some form, level, or another. So you're assuming a lot here, bud. And he used to reveal himself unambiguously so much. God doesn't do flipping things. He, he, he would he reveal himself on purpose for a reason, not unambiguously. To so many people throughout the Bible, a few people. Yet it doesn't happen like that today. How do you know? What makes you think that? And furthermore, you're wrong because he does. So what I where I'm going to come at then to answer your assumption, which is flawed and full of errors. How do you deal with the problem of divine hideness? By throwing it out the window because it's a nonsensical assumption. God doesn't hide. He just doesn't force himself upon people that don't want him. Because he says, if you look for me, you'll find me. So that's what the Bible says. So divine hidedness is a stupid. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? Okay. Um, here's a question. Do agnostics, do agnostics go to heaven or hell? Do agnostics go to heaven or hell? All right. Agnosticism is more of a philosophical approach where you don't just jump to assumptions, you don't really codify your beliefs, you kind of leave yourself as open to the possibility of different things being real or not real or whatever, and you kind of examine, kind of like the scientists of the philosophical slash religion world. Um, now, a, a agnostic is more of, I don't know, but it could be kind of, a, of an approach. So it all depends on what you're kind of bringing that level of a thing into. Now, uh, there are people that are professed Christians who are more agnostic in their approach towards the creation account, Noah's flood that it was a worldwide. Some argue that it was local. Some argue it was worldwide and some don't know. So it all depends on this kind of thing. Now, now, but, but beside the point of all this though, rather we take a look at the Bible. The Bible says that how you get to heaven, how you get to hell is based upon 
your acceptance or rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're agnostic about Jesus, you're not saved. If you're agnostic about the cross and all this, you're not saved. About his resurrection, you're not saved. But if you believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, your Lord God and Savior for salvation from your sin, you believe that he died on the cross, is buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures, you're saved. You're going to heaven. If you reject that, you don't believe that, you're going to hell. So it kind of depends upon what you are accepting or rejecting regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. It's not about, well, does an agnostic go to heaven or hell? It depends, do, do they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ or not? If they have not, then they're going to hell. So yeah, would you agree? If you disagree or if you have any other insight, anything else you'd like to add on that, please, please do. Please. Okay. Okay. Here's one. If the Bible is the unwavering word of a real God and is perfect, why are there thousands of denominations based around the same book and nobody agrees on what it says? <laughs> Going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this broadcast, um, about uh, creeds and catechisms, commentaries, all this kind of thing. When it comes down to, yes, the Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. What it says, what it means. Yes, there are thousands of denominations, but the denominations, many a time, if we're, if we're talking about actual born-again Christian denominational groups, much of that is not so much as fighting over what the book says. Actually, that oftentimes what you find is it's more in a carryings out of one's religion aspect that some denominations are more strict and conservative in the physical aspects the physical carryings out of the of the religion and some are more liberal like you got the independent baptist you got the fellowship baptist convention baptist first baptist you got the presbyterian first presbyterian you got the lutheran white lutheran green lutheran purple lutheran and all different kinds of groups now many, much is actually not so much as arguing fighting over the doctrines of scripture but rather that the physical religious traditions so not so much as arguing over over the bible itself now there are some that do fight over certain uh, approaches of different doctrines but this is much based on um not not as the salvationary doctrines but of non-salvationary doctrines see there's there's primary doctrines and secondary doctrines primary doctrines are the doctrines where uh, which in and of themselves you are saved by if you get any of these wrong you're going to hell Secondary doctrines are the doctrines of the Bible that are not salvationary. Um, these denote um, 
of your day-to-day life and other other teachings of the bible again like noah's flood or moses elijah or the creation account all these other things are head coverings hats veils or whatever else these this kind of thing all all other subcategory doctrines now we could have differing approach of how strict or loose ad, ad, we adhere to these how we're adherents to the to these um some churches practice the hat some don't it all depends some some churches are gap theorists theorists on the creation account others aren't so it all depends on these kinds of things yes the bible says that but uh, some interpret some interpret uh the the secondary doctrines differently than others not it's not the bible's fault this is this is perfect we're not we wind up interpreting some of the things in the bible uh, incorrectly it's not the bible's fault it's our fault but by your question if you believe the bible is the unwavering word of a real god and perfect then why are all these problems that's because we're stupid not the bible the bible's not dumb we're dumb the bible's not the problem we are you've got you've got your question all backwards there bud Make sense? Would you agree? Okay. Here's a question. Are zombie games and zombie movies sinful? All right. Are zombie games and zombie movies sinful? Well, as someone who used to be a massive, massive zombie fan, I used to be a massive zombie fan. And the Lord started to speak to me about this. I used to have lots of zombie games. I used to watch all the zombie movies. I was a massive zombie fan. And the Lord uh, started to get my attention. And uh, and I started to look at it and see it for, for what it is. That what it is is just the mass vulgar grotesque slaughter of people it's just violence and gore is all it is all it is is just violence and violence and gore just filthy gore um horror fear terror everything that that is not of the lord and it's just running around killing as many people as you possibly can who have been infected by a disease <laughs> like Fauci. <clears throat> so uh, if we take a look at what uh, the Bible actually says about this kind of thing, and it's the approach to the whole thing, it's degradation of the human race, it's slaughter of people, it's rejection of the idea of souls, it's no mercy, no love, no grace, no understanding. It all it is is violence and violence and gore, hatred, 
all what different ways can I kill people? That's all it is. How many different ways can I slaughter people the most? That's all it is. Now, can you honestly, honest to the Lord, honest to God, being honest and sincere before the Lord, can you take the Bible and what it teaches about our attitude, our character, uh, our approach to all these things, what it says about the character and attributes, personality of the Lord and of uh, what his saints are supposed to be, can you overlay that over the whole zombie thing? And you see, it's just, it's just learning to desensitize yourself to gore and violence and hatred towards others. And it's just, it's, it's unbiblical. It's this violence. It's just grotesque mass gore. That's all it is. And so, yeah, so uh, are zombie games and zombie movies sinful? I would say yes my thoughts would you agree would you agree okay let's move on to another one why are jehovah's witnesses considered a false religion <laughs> how are jehovah's witnesses a false religion okay let's take a look at this now as Sunny Day says here, I couldn't imagine Jesus sitting with me and watching zombie gore movies. How apropos. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that that troubles me about a lot of things. Sometimes I sit down and watch a show or a movie and it's just like, you're not really paying attention. And afterwards you're like, why did I even watch that? Why did I watch that? that's what bothers me the most actually it's it's always the after the fact it's after the fact why couldn't i've thought of this before i don't know why and you watch some stupid tv show or movie or play some stupid game or something or whatever i don't know why you fill in the blank and afterwards you're like wait a minute You know, if Jesus came and knocked on your door, would you invite him in to sit down, watch that show, the TV show, that movie, play that game, listen to that music, read that book with you, have that conversation you're having with you? If he was actually there physically, would you do that? I I dare say much, much of what we do would be changed that's what bothers me is why why do i not think of that beforehand anyways let's move on to this one why are jehovah's witnesses considered a false religion well again as i talked about uh, a while ago we did a a whole cults series we went through a bunch of different kinds of cults and took a look at uh, what they're about about their founders and their beliefs now the founder of the jehovah's witness movement was Charles Taze Russell. Charles Taze Russell was a convicted liar and perjurer. He perjured himself in court. He lied in court under oath and uh, saying he could read Greek and all that and he could not and has proved all this. Anyways, he uh, 
deconverted from oh i forget what it was what denomination and he created his own because he absolutely hated the doctrine of hell and so he created a a belief system that denies the reality of hell hell does not exist according to the jehovah's witnesses hell is just the grave hell is just the grave and when you're dead you're dead as a dog unless you're one of the special selected 144,000 because only 144,000 will go to heaven everyone else will just cease to exist so you have to try to beat the other jehovah's witness to heaven by being better than them it's a brownie point system no joke you have to earn your spot in the 144,000 or you'll just cease to exist um jehovah's witnesses say that jesus is michael the archangel Jesus is not God. Jesus is just Michael the Archangel. And that the Holy Spirit is just an energy force. Like Star Wars is just an energy force. And the Holy Spirit is not a person. According to the Jehovah's Witnesses, if you say that the Holy Spirit is a person, that's Satanism. So the Jehovah's Witnesses commit blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses say that you're saved by works, not by grace alone. You have to earn your way to heaven and, and uh, by your Michael the Archangel Jesus. So yeah, they twist the Bible like crazy. They deny hell. They deny salvation by grace. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the reality of the Holy Spirit of God. And all on, they are a crazy angel-worshipping cult. Jehovah's Witnesses are a works-based angel-worshipping cult. That's what they are. They're not Christian. Okay. Okay, Michael actually uh, throws in here, okay, uh, can you explain how we know that the Holy Spirit is a person? Okay, how can we know? When we take a look at the Bible and what the Bible teaches and the Bible shows about the person of God, and the Bible says that God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the person of God, is God. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere present and that God that uh, he moves by his spirit his spirit his person his being the Holy Spirit is called he the works of the Holy Spirit are called his the Holy Spirit is described with pronouns of of a person throughout the Bible it's never referred to in a, in a nebulous sense it's always referred to as an actual person the, the the actual personification the person of God in spiritual form it's not a force it's not energy it's a being a person that's who the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost is the actual very person of God as we see Jesus talks with the Holy Ghost the Holy Spirit uh, the, the, who is the comforter the comforter who is the Holy Spirit he will teach you all things I will not leave you comfortless 
I will come to you, is what Jesus says. So therefore, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the actual spirit of Christ, of Jesus, Jesus' own spirit, his spirit, his person. Ephesians 3, 17, the Christ lives in the heart of every believer. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, he is him dwells in the heart of every believer is what the bible says so the scriptures teach the spirit of god the holy ghost is person is is an is the the being the individual of god in spiritual form that's what the bible says so there you go oh that helps you agree you agree okay Does the Bible support reincarnation? Does the Bible support reincarnation? Or if you're a redneck, reincarnation. Only par partially, or is it a deeper mystery revelation to believe in? So if you're reincarnated as a, as a hillbilly, it's called reincarnation. So does the Bible support reincarnation? What is reincarnation? Well, that's the, that's the Hindu teaching the uh, mystical hindu teaching that when you die you just come back as another p a person that you die in this form and you just come back your soul the transmigration of souls and that your soul just comes back as a beetle or a dog or a cow or well, whatever else and then you can come back as some other creature and you keep doing this cycle until you're holy enough to finally enter the nirvana and into into the uh, you become a part of the divine that's the idea of reincarnation but on a baser level as there are some so-called professed christians that believe in reincarnation and the and that they believe you come back as another person um does the bible in any way shape or form back up support any level of reincarnation no no, it does not, because the Bible flat out says it's an it's appointed to men once to die, and after this, the judgment. The judgment of being whether or not you have believed in the Lord according to Scripture or not. If you have not believed in in, in the the gospel of the Lord uh, according to Scripture, gospel of Jesus Christ, you go to hell. If you believe in the gospel, you go to heaven. So there's none of this going through reincarn reincarnation is nowhere in the Bible. It's not supported anywhere in Scripture. And the Bible actually says you, you only have one life to live. Uh, and it's appointed to men once to die. Now look what it says. It's appointed to men once to die. Now this is, a, this is the state of permanency where your body actually see, uh, ceases to live and your soul moves on to either heaven or hell. So there you go. The, the Bible re refutes reincarnation. Okay. Here's a question. All right, so do, do you agree on that, on on uh, my response there to reincarnation? Do you agree? Let's, let's go take a look at another one. Do you think it's possible that God may not know the future decisions of people? Do you think it's possible that God may not know the future decisions of people? Um, the scriptures teach that God is all-knowing. God is all-seeing. God is all-powerful. 
He knows the thoughts of our hearts and minds. He sees all things, knows all things. He knows the future. He knows the past. He knows everything about everything. Um, so if your God doesn't know your decisions, then he's not God. And a God that doesn't know clearly isn't all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, and is not God. So do you think that God may not know the future decisions of people? No, that's stupid. He knows everything. Okay. <clears throat> oh boy, here. Let, let's yeah, let's take a look at this one. Let's get controversial. You want to get controversial or you just want to keep just keep going normally? <laughs> I'll leave that up to you folks. You want to get controversial? while we're waiting on answers for that one let's take a look michael says about spiritual warfare how do we tell what's our sinful nature or our spiritual attack sinful nature is continuous um you can kind of kind of see yourself you you know you know how you think, you know how you reason, you know how you speak and this kind of thing. You kind of know your own feelings of things, your own personal temptations, your weaknesses. Um, that which is a spiritual attack is different. It's like a different voice. It's like a there's, there's a different presence, there's, a, there's something else behind it. It comes with intrusive thoughts. It comes with emotional distraught. It comes with uh, uh, questioning, doubting of scripture, promises, self-degradation. It's quite more severe. Um, there's many. There are many different flags you can look for. Uh, but this has always been a bit bit of the issue is how can you tell what's of our own sinful nature and what's of actual demonic manipulation? Because sometimes the demonic manipulation can come in veiled as your own normal, physical, natural, sinful struggles. And it can be hard sometimes. How, how you can tell is, in, in many, in most ways, is in how you react to it. You see, for our own selves, with our own base, physical, sinful self, often when we are tempted, we can just ignore it, push it aside, and just move on, and it's over. It's like it's like when a dog wants to go off after that thing, and you just kind of tug the leash, and okay, and it goes on. It's kind of like that. But if it's of a demonic sense, there is, there is no relent. Uh, it's It just keeps on, and it becomes relentless. And, it, and you can't get it out of your head. It's persistent. It just keeps going, keeps pushing, keeps driving. And you can't get this thought, this image, this suggestion out of your mind, out of your senses. And it just keeps going, keeps going. And it's relentless. Uh, that is an, another way. That That is pretty much that the, uh, what a lot of people find as a, as, as a norm. Um, in other cases, uh, you can't really tell. There is no way to really tell, and you just treat it all as equal. Regardless, doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter if in an actual biblical sense it doesn't matter if it's of your natural sinful self or of demonic it doesn't matter you treat it the same rebuke resist move on rebuke resist move on so it doesn't matter uh it, but if it persists and like daniel you you fast and pray and pray and pray and nothing happens nothing changes that's when you start to realize okay maybe it's there's actual demonic interference here and uh if a simple rebuke and and uh, seeking the face of god doesn't help you in in this then maybe there's something else behind the scenes going on you need to dive a bit deeper in fasting and prayer so but overall you, you just kind of treat it all as the same that's what i would say all right, so people have voted poke the uh, poke the fire. Get, let's get controversial. Okay, let's get controversial. You ready? Pull your seat up, grab your Bible, grit your teeth. Here we go. What happens to people who reside in a gray area concerning sin and salvation? Ooh. <laughs> What happens to people who reside in a gray area concerning sin and salvation? That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. So, how do you approach this? How do you answer it? Let's say you're on stage. You're in front of everybody. And people are coming up, you know, they grab the mic and they ask you that question in front of everyone. You got to answer it. And you have to answer it. Let's take a look. Let's hash this out. All right. So, all right, Vic, Tristan, you guys, you guys said, let's get controversial, poke the fire. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull you, I'm going to drag you into this. You're going to be a part of this one. Let's take a look at this. What does the Bible actually say? Now, again, let's stay amicable. If we disagree, we disagree. We're, we're, we're brothers in Christ. Let's not fight, but let's let's discuss this. All right. Now, right off the bat, Vic, you said lukewarm. They get spit out. In what context? Because what we first need to re, uh, uh, approach in this, what happens to people who reside in a gray area concerning sin and salvation? Okay, so we got to establish the salvation aspect. Now, salvation is permanent. We can agree on that. Salvation is permanent. You cannot lose your salvation. Salvation is once saved, always saved, as the word of God says, because it's not by works. It's by grace through faith, but belief alone. So salvation is permanent. Right? Right? It's permanent. So there is a lukewarm thing. God did say he would spew it out of his mouth. But many, I'm not saying this is your interpretation, what you meant, but many people interpret that as God will spit them out, meaning they will lose their salvation. God will reject them, cast them away. No, no, you can't lose your salvation. So there is a difference. There's a different interpretation. Then. The interpretation of that is non-salvationary. So, but there is a lukewarm aspect that does get spit out. Um, but yeah, no, you are right. In a sense, in, 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 in a certain context, you are right, uh, Vic. It's just, I'm just clarifying that it's not salvationary. It's not a salvationary context. Because true salvation is once saved, always saved. So what does happen to people who reside in a gray area? Well, okay, so... Are, are we talking about before salvation or after salvation? See, this is why 
if I was standing on the stage and the person asked that, this is what I would ask them. Well, which are you referring to? Uh, about someone who's seeking to get saved or someone who already is saved? Because it's entirely different. It's entirely different. For the saved individual, for the saved individual, that's what the lukewarm thing's about. About the church of Laodicea, how they were lukewarm. And that it, what the context of this is they are children of God, saints of God, servants of the Lord, and that they were they they in their works, their behavior, their treatment of the things of the Lord was seen as disgusting. They were apathetic disrespectful rebellious and this is gross to god and he he spewed them out as as unusable that their salt had no flavor and it was and it was gross and that god couldn't use them he couldn't bless them he couldn't work with them that's what that means by lukewarm unusable to the lord and he rejects that as being usable as because it has no flavor no taste that's what that means so it's a non-salvationary context of the lukewarm thing now if we are talking about gray area, now would you agree with that? Would you guys agree with that, or do you have any other insights on this? Any other insights? Because that's how I approach that, and so we see in a in a in a context of those that are saved. Uh, that has always been my understanding. Tristan says, and Vic says, yes. Okay, good. We're on the same page. So that we have to look at it in that way of what is salvationary and what is not so then if we approach this then now i'm leaning towards that this questionnaire here of what happens to people who reside in a gray area concerning sin and salvation uh, i'm leaning more towards that the questionnaire is meaning of an unsaved person of an unsaved person who approaches the salvationary aspect but with a with a, a gray area concerning uh, what is actually sin and sinful, okay, let's approach it in that regard. An individual who comes to Calvary, comes to the cross, approaches the cross, approaches salvation, but they see sin as a gray area. Uh, sin is not really sinful, um, and uh, they reside and they stay in this. That it's not really that big of a deal. It's not really that bad. Uh, look, God may not like it, but I don't think it's really that big of a deal that's bad. Okay. All right. What is salvation for? Salvation from what? Salvation from the condemnation of sin. Okay. Jesus died on the cross. Why? For salvation from my sin. He shed his blood. Why? To... To, to atone for my sins, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That sin has separated us from God. That sin is is condemning us to hell. Our sins are dragging us to hell. And if we're not free from our sin, we will go to hell when we die. So we need to be redeemed, bought out, changed, made new. We need to be saved from the condemnation of our sin. We need to repent and believe the gospel to be saved from our sins. That's what salvation's for. Okay. Um. So if you're coming to the cross then to be saved, but you don't really see yourself as a sinner, doesn't that create a bit of a problem? Well, then what are you seeking Christ for? What are you seeking his blood for? What are you seeking the atonement for? Because I want to go to heaven. 
why weren't you going to heaven in the first place? Where were you going before then? If you weren't going to heaven in the first place, then, okay, you see where this goes. It's kind of a circular argument here. That we may, that salvation is that we may live again. Well, live again? What, where you weren't alive before? Like, where are you coming from? So you see salvation, and you know, the whole point of the whole purpose is regarding the entire aspect the nature of the sin nature of 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 ourselves of our own sin is we have broken the laws of god and we are guilty in the court of god we're guilty and we must face the punishment you see the criminal can stand in the court before the judge and say well i don't see it as a big problem i don't really see it as a big issue the criminal always cries they're innocent oh criminal always says that it uh, says and thinks that it's not as big of an issue as it actually is but it doesn't matter you can rob rob the bank all you want but you and you didn't hurt anybody but the fact is you still robbed the bank you you still assaulted that person you still did this thing you still broke you broke the law you still committed that crime you must pay the punishment of the law of the land regarding that crime and the law of the land of god is all sin even all liars will be cast in the lake of fire lying telling a lie according to god will get you thrown in the lake of fire maul that one over you see, we sin scale. We put certain sins above other sins and think some sins are worse than others. But in the eyes of God, all sin is equal and all sin is just as bad and all sin will get you thrown in the lake of fire. All sin will be judged by God and you will be found guilty and you'll be judged and you'll be condemned because of your sin regardless. Well, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't kill anybody. doesn't matter. Did you tell a lie? Go through the Ten Commandments. How many have you broken? exactly sin is sin so regardless of how i think about it regardless how i see it no regardless how much i'm watering down the reality of sin that doesn't invalidate the seriousness and the depth of sin that sin is exceedingly sinful so what happens to people who reside to reside means to stay in to live in unchangeable in a gray area concerning sin that means they don't see the, the the state of sin they don't understand sin they don't see how they are a sinner so to so for what then are they seeking salvation can a person in that state get saved well if they believe in jesus why are they believing in jesus Just believe in jesus why one two three repeat after me well, I believed in Jesus. Well, even devils believe in tremble, but why are you believing in Jesus? Well, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It says nothing about sin. Repent and believe the gospel. God calls all men everywhere to repent. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repent of what? Repent of what? To repent. I like using this example. To repent is like, I'm going this way. I'm going down a road. And I realize I'm going the wrong way. I should be going the opposite direction. So what do I do? I repent on the road. It means to stop, turn around, and go the other way. A change of mind. 
and change of direction. Now we're told to repent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're given a direction. So what is it that I am turning against? What is it that I'm altering my life, my mind, changing all this on? My sin of what I was, what I am, and all of this. And I leave at the cross all of this, and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from my sin. As his blood atonement covers my sin. His, his spirit cleanses me of all sin. The, the cross, the burial, the resurrection is the work of Jesus Christ, the payment for all sin. As he is the Lamb of God who will sa save the world from its, from its sin. That's what the Bible says. People say, well, you don't need to repent of sin. Really? You don't need to repent of sin? For what then are you repenting of not being saved? Saved from what? Salvation from what? Redeemed from what? Atoned for what? Died on the cross? Why? Shed his blood? Why? It's all about sins. People say you don't need to repent of sin. Those people don't understand the Bible. They don't understand the gospel. So what happens to people if they come to, come to the cross in a state thinking that sin is not a big deal, they don't need to repent of sin, sin is not a big issue, those people aren't saved. Would you agree? Now, I want to throw something else in here. This is where it gets controversial. Now, yeah, Vicky says that Jesus even told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. So you see that sin is a big aspect of the whole thing. So, but what about this? Here's one. What if? An individual you're talking to in the street, you hand them a track, and turns out that they're they're actually interested and they want to talk to you about it. And you tell them about Christ, you tell them about the cross, you tell them about the atonement and all the rest of it. How we're all sinners, and they agree. Oh yeah, we're all sinners. I I agree that, and they see that they're a sinner. But. What if there are some things in their lives that is sin, but these specific, some of these specific things aren't really that big of an issue to them. They don't really see it as being sinful or being a problem. Can that person get saved? And that the Spirit of God would continue to work on that person to help bring them to the understanding and, and that some things in some people's lives is more of a process of learning and understanding. Can that person get saved and the Spirit of God just teach them? See, this is where it gets the whole controversial thing, as I said. Because the first approach is whether or not they agree that they are sinners, that sin is actually a problem, to a person who agrees that they, they are a sinner, and, but they just struggle to understand how some things are sinful. There's a bit of a difference. What do you think? What do you think? Interesting, isn't it? Okay. 
So yeah, just some something to think about on that one. Vic says, mm, I'd say yes. I say yes. It's my thoughts on it. Because there are some, there are some professed Christians who would say, no, no, that they, they, they can't get saved. If, if, if they are not repentant of all sin in their whole life, then, then no, they're, they're not saved. That's the Lordship Salvationist. Okay. Um, let's take a look at this one. Abby says in Matthew 24, 35, let's go to Matthew 24. Actually, because of that, we need to go to this. One sec. Because it has my Greek and Hebrew interlinear. So we want Matthew 24. 24 and 35. Okay. Matthew 24, 35. Uh, when Jesus says heaven, is he referring to outer space or actual heaven? All right. Now... Oranos. Oranos. Now, Oranos is the Greek word for heaven, as in heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will stand forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Uh, sorry, let's go back one second, pause. Uh, Tristan says, I've had sins in my life that I didn't realize until years later, and God working in my life has revealed when and I asked for forgiveness. There you go. Exactly what we were talking about. Okay, so in this question, heaven and earth shall pass away. Now, in in here we see in the the greek word oranos which means the expanse of the sky above you that where the birds fly that where the birds fly the vaulted expanse of the sky with all things visible in it it means the sky so that that's everything of this world will be burned up as we see in the end that god uh, god will destroy the earth with fire he'll destroy everything and then god makes a new heaven and new earth uh, so in this context here, Oranos, the vaulted expanse of the sky with all things visible in it, the universe, the world, the aerial heavens or sky, the region where the clouds and the tempests gather and where thunder and lightning are produced, that's, this word means Oranos. So in that context, it's actually referring to sky, uh, that, that above you, that's what that means. Okay. All right, so let's go back to some of these. How long have we been going? Two hours, two minutes. I'm still feeling good. Let's keep moving. Okay, remember when I said that some of these questions are so stupid it, it makes you question your own sanity? <laughs> okay. Here, here's one. Okay, uh, RB says, I think you just classified 99% of Christian people. If you're not doing introspection in your walk, are we living righteously? Exactly. It's just, it, w this is why we must examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And it's and the, the walk in the Lord is learning and growing and we change and we and things that we don't understand now we'll understand later. This is where the long suffering and the patience and the grace of God comes in. Exactly. So if you have to perfect yourself to be able to be saved then who's saved no one would get saved 
No one would be saved. Exactly. All right, so here's a question on Ask a Christian. It's, it's really... See, this is why you need to pay attention to the actual question to see the the mentality of the questioner. And when you do that, you really see the meaning of the question. Okay. Why does New Testament Jesus say he is intentionally confusing people? Why does Jesus say he is intentionally confusing people? Does Jesus say he's intentionally confusing people? No, that's a dumb statement. Now, what's what's their argument? And he quotes, this person quotes Mark chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. I don't like the wording of their translation. doesn't sound right, so I'm going to use mine. Mark 4. All right, Mark chapter 4. And verse 11 to 12. And we just went over this over in Matthew. Uh, Mark 4, 11 and 12. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Okay. What is Jesus saying there? Is like this person, is Jesus saying that he is intentionally confusing people? Is that what he means by this? Is that, is that actually what he's saying? What does Jesus mean? Well, if we take a look at this. Now, over in Corinthians, we see that uh, the Lord says that uh, the natural man receiveth not the things that are of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. What does the Lord mean by that? You have to have the Holy Spirit of God to be able to understand the Word of God. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you're not going to be able to understand the Scriptures. It's going to be foolishness to you. It's going to be what? Like parables. Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Who's he talking to? The disciples. But unto them that are without that are not saved, that are not of my sheep, that are not of my children, those without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing, seeing it, they may see it, but not perceive it. Hearing it, they will hear it, but not understand. Lest at any time they, they should be converted, the sin should be forgiven them. Because it's not just, well, I just heard it, and, not, and so now I believe. No, there, there must be a seeking and understanding. They must come to the Lord, a seeking for the Lord, you don't just get saved arbitrarily. At, at your whim, at your will, is that you must come to the Lord and allow the Lord to give you the understanding, allow the Lord to enlighten, to teach you and instruct you in this. It's not just of our, all our whim and will. Let's go to John chapter 1, shall we? Now hold up before you start freaking out. John chapter 1, where is it? Look at this. John chapter 1, verse 13. John chapter 1, verse 13. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're born of God, not of our will. So it's not just, well, uh, well you can just go hear it and believe at your own time, your own will, at your own whim, without the Spirit of God working on you. 
That's what that means. That you must come to the Lord and his spirit will come upon you, give you the understanding, and then you will see and you'll be given the enlightenment and give then given the choice. But we're not just saved at our whim and our will, but of the will of God, not of the will of man. John 1.13. There you go. Do you agree? That's what it says. That's what it says. Would you agree? Okay. Now that's one that uh, Calvinists would completely disagree with me, and also that Armenians would severely disagree with me on that one. Well, you disagree all you want, but uh, Scripture says. That's why I'm neither Calvinist nor Armenian. I don't hold to any line. I don't hold to any group. I don't hold to any movement. I don't hold to any creed or catechism. I don't hold to any anything. I hold to the Bible. The Bible. Okay. Let's move on to this one. Do denominations matter? Ooh. What do you say? What do you, what do you folks say? Everyone in the comments, what do you think? Do denominations matter? Do they really matter? Do denominations matter? Denominations. You got the all the different sects of Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, uh, Anglicans, and all the rest of them, Pentecostals, Charismatics, all the different sects and groups and schisms. Do denominations matter? Only if you want to drink wine. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's good. I love that. That's really good. That's really good, Michael. That's really good. I got to remember that one. That's really good. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay. Let's get serious. <laughs> okay. But, uh, denominationalism it has caused more damage than uh, than it's actually helped and and like i said before denominations denominationalism is the creation the formulation of one group or one individual's perception of how they think the word of God should be physically carried out. That's what a denomination is. Um, it's not so much as it is interpretation of Bible, but as it is that now some think you should be more strict, some think you must be more conservative, some think you, you can be more liberal on certain topics and things like this. But denominations, let's see, what does the Bible actually say? The scriptures say, as Paul calls out, some say, well, I'm of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos. Are we not all one under Christ? And as it says in the Word of God, one of the things that God actually hates is those that sow discord amongst the brethren. Those that cause schisms and that cliqueism and clanism and the separation, the disunity. 
where these Christians over here think they're better than these ones over here because these ones do this and these ones don't do that. And there's no unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. God absolutely hates that. So that schism, that, that, that schism, schism making, that, that clanism and clickism actually is completely, completely unbiblical. Now, beside the fact, nonetheless, we do have denominations and it can't be undone. It can't be stopped. And the fact that they are there, okay, well, what, what, what can you do with it? Well, th see, this is why people ask me. People ask me about, you know, Brother Matthew, uh, can you help me uh, find a church? What kind of church should I go to? What kind of church should I go to? So you can't just say, we'll go to a Christian church. You can't say that. Because every dog and his brother calls themselves Christian. So where would you send them to get actual biblical truth? See, now that the fact that there is denominations and it can't be undone and so there's a so now what we do is we kind of work with it we can kind of work with it work around it and the fact that it is in existence we can kind of use it even though we may not like it the fact they still use it so would you send someone to a methodist only if you want them to go pagan uh, if you, would you send them to a Lutheran? If you want them to learn baptismal regeneration, would you send them to Pentecostal? Only if you want them to start talking like Fred Flintstone, uh, well, where would you send them? Well, we know uh, by understanding and study of the different denominational groups and sects and this kind of thing, and is what we do is you know which ones are closer to biblical accuracy than others. So, for example, now, bear with me just one moment. I am non-denominational in approach, in study. Please don't freak out. But I'm a pastor of a Baptist church. But we operate more non-denominationally. That's how we operate. Because, well, I don't care what stripe, clan, click, color you are. If you believe in the gospel of the Lord God Jesus Christ, according to scripture, come sit down. You're my brother and sister in Christ. Our clan colors mean nothing. But rather, we use the denominational distinctives now as, a, as like a flag to help people to know where to go to hear more something that's more in line with biblical accuracy. Like, for example, independent Baptists now, yes, some independent preachers are weird, but you can't judge the whole line based on one preacher's weirdness. Um, but independent Baptists preach the true gospel and have an awful lot right going for them. The same as free Presbyterian, not regular Presbyterian, free Presbyterian. There's a sect difference. Free Presbyterian, these are ones that broke away from the Presbyterian when the regular Presbyterian were going super liberal. And the free Presbyterian, they're free from the liberalism of the other group. Free Presbyterian are accurate and are trustworthy. Very good. So you can tell someone, well, just look up, look for an independent Baptist or a free Presbyterian church. 
and just go in, sit down, see what's what going on. If it's if you go in there and there's a guy in the pulpit that's like Steven Anderson, leave. Run for the hills. Steven Anderson is nuts. If you go in there and it's a, a preacher, he's up there preaching the sound gospel and he's just walking you through the Bible, good. Sit down, listen in, you learn something. But what but they say, well, well, there's a church over here. What kind is it? Well, it's United Methodist. United Methodist. No, that that yeah, that's where uh, you can or you are an actual full practicing pagan, but you want to call yourself a Christian. United Methodist is absolutely just revolting. You wouldn't send them there. So this is where you help someone to understand some place that's safer to send someone. So, but overall, do denominations matter? In a biblical sense of what is uh, uh, what is Christian, no. But in it, it does it matter in helping someone find somewhere to go to, to join in a fellowship with other Christians? Yes, then it matters. Would you agree? Would you agree? So, yeah. Um... Uh, denominations as one uh, Irina says only matters to unsaved ones uh, as the unsaved ones matter yeah so yeah like I said it was where we got to do the study interpret and which denominations are what what they believe what they're about and yeah the unsaved how they look they think it matters by all the clans and stuff and then to the Christians it matters because well who's teaching properly it's to help people find a good biblical fellowship Okay, RB says, if a church does not declare Jesus Christ as God, the Almighty, and declare Scripture as its truth, only truth, it's one to avoid. That's right. And if I can actually add on to that, if I may, I've talked about before, what what are some ways that you could help determine if a church is some, as a, uh, one church is a place that you should go listen in on? What are some things you could use to interpret? Um... Well, I actually have a couple a couple questions that I ask pastors, that I ask people of different churches regarding their beliefs. First off, do you believe, like you said, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh? Yes or no? There's no if and what's or buts, no, no, well, no, no explanation, no, yes or no. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh? All right. Next question. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures for our salvation, and that once saved, always saved? Do you believe that? Do you believe in the work of Jesus Christ on the on the cross that he shed his blood and died, was buried, rose again the third day for our salvation, according to the scriptures, and that once saved, always saved? Do you believe that? You see, the, the, the one point that I throw in there is once saved, always saved. If you do not accept, if you do not believe in once saved, always saved, you're deceived. You're deceived. And you're believing in a works-based system of salvation. Salvation cannot be lost, cannot be taken away, cannot be recanted. But if you deny that and you think that it can be, your, your Christ is insufficient. And you're believing in a works-based gospel. So you must ask the church, ask the people, ask the, the, 
the the, the possible congregation uh, regarding that. Do you believe in once saved, always saved? That salvation is permanent. That once you are born again saved, it cannot be taken away uh, or removed or recanted. So make sure to throw that in there. And finally, there's one that actually I started using. I started asking because I've discovered that there is a sect of professed Christians that really mess this one up and think that there are two ways of salvation. That there is a means of salvation for Jews and a means of salvation for Gentiles. That this is separate. That the Jews, they believe in Christ and must keep the traditions and the laws and the commandments and everything else. And the Gentiles, they're saved by grace. No. Final question that I would throw in there is, do you believe in one way of salvation for all Gentiles and Jews? As the scriptures say, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, all are one in Christ. Do you believe there's only one way of salvation for all people, Jew and Gentile? So, deity of Jesus Christ, the full work of Christ on the cross, once saved, always saved, and only one way of salvation. You can throw in here as well, as uh, sometimes I'll throw in a fifth, a fifth and final question. And this, this one's also important because some people will say yes to all of that. They'll say yes to all of that. But they believe in baptismal regeneration. Oh yeah, we're saved by grace. Oh yeah, Jesus is God. Oh yeah, once saved, always saved. Oh yes, all of that in one way salvation. But water baptism is a requirement for salvation though. You must be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. No. So you throw in a fifth. Do you believe that water baptism is not required for salvation, but is symbolic only? So deity of Jesus Christ. The full work of the cross, the burial, the resurrection. Once saved, always saved. One way of salvation. And that baptismal regeneration is not a requirement. There you go. Write those down. Use those. Ask, ask the, the potential pastor, the church, whatever. Ask the people those questions. See where they stand on that. Ask yourself those questions. How would you answer them? There you go. So yeah, water baptism is symbolic only. Because as we see with John the Baptist pointed at Jesus said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's the cleansing, the purging, the uh, the, uh, the washing away of our sins of Titus 3.5. By the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God washes us, regenerates us, cleanses us inwardly of our sin. The water is the outward demonstration, the outward manifestation, the outward symbolism of that which has happened inwardly. Okay? Yeah. And the thief on the cross, exactly. He wasn't baptized. He didn't go to confession. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't confess anything uh, other than he called Christ Lord. He didn't go to church. He didn't get baptized. He didn't do works. He didn't tithe. He didn't uh, sign a confession of faith or any of that kind of thing. He just confessed christ but you could see he was sorry for his sins as what he said from to the other thief for we indeed that uh, are receiving justly for what we have done he realized his sin he understood his sin and he confessed christ and jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise paradise not hell today you will be with me in paradise not hell. Remember we talked about that earlier. Christ did not go to hell. He went to paradise. Jesus even said that. He even said it. Today you'll be with me in paradise. 
that's in Sheol. You go down to Sheol to paradise. On the other side is hell, across the Great Gulf. See that? Bible answers it. Okay. Uh, we've been going for 2 hours, 23 minutes. I'm still feeling good, so let's keep going. Okay. Oh, do I want to go with that one? Okay. Let's do it. To all my American brothers and sisters, please just bear with me. This is a question in Ask a Christian subreddit, but I'm going to touch on this, and if this offends you, please grow up. Okay, so in Ask a Christian, here's a, here's a question. What is the connection that Christians often make between Jesus guns, the U.S. flag, and U.S. patriotism. What's the connection that Christians often make between Jesus, guns, the U.S. flag, and U.S. patriotism? Okay. Um, well, there. how would I answer this? Oh, boy. Uh, Michael here says it's pride can be an aspect um but i think it, it goes much more than this if uh, i have an awful lot of american friends i'm canadian okay i'm a crazy canuck <laughs> unfortunately because i hate canada um but i'm a crazy canuck i live in so socialist communist china okay what is the connection here but you see some people you know that those americans that are all raw blasting their guns with the u.s flag and and screaming my rights and while holding a bible what in the world is this all about it goes more down towards of full freedom this is what they're that well a lot of it actually comes from not even so much as pride as that can be an aspect in some but the way i have personally seen it interpreted as as a it's more of a full-on demonstration in the face of everyone uh, because they have freedoms because they have liberties to be able to do whatever they want they sometimes put on demonstrations of this and that because of this it can sometimes get much more in their heads that it be, that they really love to shove it in everyone else's faces the fact of their freedoms and liberties and which can develop into a sense of pride which can go a bit too far which it can go to a bit too far now are guns wrong no no guns are just tools they're just instruments they're a machine that can spit a piece of metal at high velocities that's all it is you can do the same with slingshots um, and the U.S. flag, which, well, again, there it does fall into flag worship with many. I will not uh, swear allegiance to any flag. I will not. I will not salute a flag. I will not do any of that kind of thing because my allegiances are to the kingdom of God alone. And if that offends you, well, okay. Um, but again, I don't bow the knee to anyone or anything. I don't salute anyone but the Lord. I am patriotic only of the kingdom of heaven only. Um, 
yes, and the United States, in in the sense, does designate great freedoms and liberties for now. <laughs> but with the government, uh, maybe not for maybe not in a while. But uh, the patriotism that flows out of this is in defense of this, which they're established on as great freedoms and liberties and rights and this kind of thing. And that they are trying to defend this because there are those that are coming in like the Biden-Harris government that want to strip it all away and force you into gulags. Um, this is what they want. They want to corrupt and destroy the country, destroy your freedoms and liberties like Trudeau does to Canada. And uh, they're trying to defend all of this. But in this we see is the freedom to bear arms, the freedom of life, liberty, and to own property, as well as the freedom of religion the freedom of religion because as you do see as those that are opposed to all of that want to strip religious rights or strip the, the freedom and the rights to bear arms and strip all of this so these ones are more like the zealots as you had zealots of israel you have zealots of the united states as you have zealots of israel like simon the zealot in the bible they had the zealots to defend israel from the romans we have the zealots of the united states trying to defend their country against the democrats <laughs> so that's just what it is so it's not so much as that there's a a connection between jesus and all these things as the connection is their their constitution of rights and freedoms which canada does not have and never had uh by the way canada never had a, a constitution of rights any of that kind of thing we had the rights of the crown uh, if you actually know the british rule the british monarchy as canada actually falls under the british monarchy as the canada's rights were only that which were the rights as dictated by the crown and that the crown could restrict and give rights as they saw fit we did not have an established constitution of rights we never did it was only the rights of the crown which can change at the whim of the crown yeah fyi so that's what i would say on this uh on this question about the difference, uh, some Christians and about the Jesus guns, he has flag, he has patriotism. Uh, that's just how I have seen it. That's how I've observed it. If if you disagree or whatever, okay. But that's just how I've always seen it. And like you know, some are a bit more crazy than others on in all of that. Hey, you're allowed to do whatever you want. That's how I that's how I look at it. But what's your thoughts? Okay. Let's go down through, seeing if there's anything. Uh, Kristen says, I've always seen it as a showing of our freedoms given to us by God. If we don't use them, then we lose them. Right. Um, okay. Let's, let's go there. Why do you say freedoms given to us by God? I know a lot of Americans say that. A lot of people say about freedoms and liberties given to us by God. Did God give you those rights and freedoms? Can you back that up with the scriptures? Can you back that up with the Bible? Because a lot of a lot of a lot of people say that uh, freedoms given to us by God. Did God actually give you those freedoms, those liberties, freedom of religion? God didn't give you that. No, it's one way, one truth, one life. Or otherwise, you go to hell. 
not freedom to to worship whatever god never gave gave people the freedom to worship whatever they want no 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 he established it as one way one truth one life and he condemned and cursed and banned and, and uh, he will throw into hell every other way god ne uh, god ne never gave the freedom to worship in any way you want just saying so freedoms what are these freedoms are more the interpretations of the men who penned your constitution god god was not the penner of the constitution these men were some of those men were not even christian as speculation some of those men were, were even uh freemasons so but i'm just saying is when you say freedoms is given by God, so people try to drag God into it to to try to establish a stronger veracity, a stronger argument for the protection. Well, God gave it. But what if he didn't? What if certain of these that are perceived as freedoms and liberties are not actually things that God would, would have allowed in the first place? See what I'm thinking? See how I approach that? So it's just something to think about not all freedoms that, that we would call freedoms and liberties are actually things that are good just saying just thought i'd throw that out there for fun okay um here's one how how many actually take Thou shalt not make any graven imagery seriously. Uh, uh, this one. How many actually take the thou shalt not make any graven imagery seriously? Well, okay. If we go to Exodus 20. See, a lot of it also stems from a misunderstanding. Because there are some groups that take the the graven image thing super hyper literal as in any form of imagery any form of it you're not even allowed pictures on your wall you're not even allowed a little like a statue of a deer or a moose or a cat or a dog on your bookshelf or i'm not allowed to have any of that kind of thing. not allowed to have imagery of any kind is that what it's meaning well, let's take a look. In Exodus 20, um, in verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Hard stop. Right there. That's what a lot of people do. They stop right there. And they don't keep reading. But also the fact that they've, they've isolated and cherry-picked that sentence right there. And they don't bring into the context the previous verse. Because it flows into, right? Verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Gods. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And then verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. So the graven imagery thing is in regards to idol making, idolatry. Does that mean that I can't have like a little statue of a deer or an owl or 
Okay, you're going to see how nerdy I am, okay? Or a Ninja Turtle. Okay, I'm a Ninja Turtle fan, okay? Sue me. I'm a Ninja Turtle fan. Uh, I like Raphael. Is that, is this, is, oh, it's, it's a graven image. It goes against the Ten Commandments. No. It's not an idol. I'm not bowing down to it nor serving it. And so you see the context is in regards to idol making. It's in regards to uh, uh, worshiping as some, as you see in Romans 1, 18 to 25, they changed the, the likeness of God into the form of four-footed beasts and creeping things. And, and that's what that's talking about. There's uh, in uh, Jeremiah, where they go and they cut down a tree and they fashion the tree into an image with mouths and hands and feet and they bear it around on their shoulders. That's what it's talking about. They have eyes, but they see not ears have they, but they hear not. That's what it's talking about. Idol making, idolatry. It's not talking about images in general, like pictures on the wall or you want to carve a statue of a bear or have a Ninja Turtle. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about in context of worship. It's about in context of servant uh, servantry towards in context of idolatry. That's what it's talking about. So how many actually take the thou shalt not make any graven imagery seriously? Well, if we're talking about in context of ser uh, uh, serving idols, well, yeah, not many. Yeah, so it's like the golden calf thing, exactly as, as Vic says. So yeah, so it's graven for purpose of worship. It's graven image. It's a graven image for purpose of worship. Okay. Okay. Here's one. How do you answer the objection of the universe is so incredibly giant, yet God chose to reveal himself only to a small population of people in the Middle East thousands of years ago. Yeah, one more time. How do you answer the objection? So someone is bringing an objection to try to refute Christianity, to fight against Christianity. How do you answer the objection? The universe is so incredibly giant, yet God chose to reveal himself only to a small population of people in the Middle East thousands of years ago. So he didn't so he didn't reveal himself to any anyone else in the world or anywhere else in the universe. All right. So you can see where this per person is coming from is they think that it's possible that there could be life elsewhere in the universe that God could reveal himself to people so and they would worship God in the whatever way that God revealed himself to them that God revealed himself to the Hindus and that's why the Hindus worship the way they do he revealed himself to the Buddhists that's why they worship the way they do in Buddhism and all this kind of thing that's where they're coming from that's what they're insinuating but universe is so incredibly giant it absolutely is uh, yet God chose to reveal himself only to a small population of people in the Middle East thousands of years ago? Well, God did choose to reveal himself to Adam and Eve in the garden. And again, to people after that, he spoke to Abel, he spoke to Cain, he spoke to other people. He also revealed himself to Noah and his family and all other people after that. 
all throughout the land of Canaan, Ur of the Chaldees, all throughout the Mesopotamian region, all throughout the Middle East. He also revealed himself to Pharaoh in Africa. Um, he also revealed himself to the Babylonians, the Ninevites, all the people there. Um, but only to a small population of people in the Middle East thousands of years ago? Well, it's because, well, he's the God of Israel. And God, and the way that God for, formed the, formulated this, the way that God worked this out is he chose Abraham to be the father of, of Israel. And he promised his protection and blessing, all those, and he'd make a great nation out of them. Uh, and they would be his people and he'd be their God. And he promised them the land of this area that became known as the land of Israel. Uh, he's the God of Israel, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he promised that he would come down in the flesh, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, which he did, known as Jesus. And then from here we see that even though God revealed himself to these, he didn't restrict his salvation to only the Jews, only the pe these people, but he also called all people everywhere. And he sent his prophets out throughout the whole world and he showed himself to many other people, many other places in many different ways. But to come to the same faith of the one way, one truth, one life. As God did not reveal himself to India and then have them practice the faith by what is known as Hinduism. The, the, the idea of universalism. That's, that's a bunch of nonsense. So how do you answer the objection? Well, first off, much of what you can, your argument here is flawed. It shows that you don't study the Bible clearly. You're trying to drag universalism as a, as a, as a refuting argument against Christianity, which is massively flawed as well, because clearly you, you can't say that they all worship God, that just the same God, but differently than you. You can't say that because, well, okay, what about the Aztecs? How far do you take it? What about the Incans and the Aztecs? What about the Moloch worshippers, the Baal worshippers, the Ashtaroth worshippers? What about the witches? What what about the Satanism? What what about Hinduism that says that their god Brahma is is born of the demons, the world serpent? That's Lucifer. Uh, what what about Buddhist Buddhism, which was started by a Hindu monk? So Buddhism actually is Hinduism. And what about Islam started by the Muslims, uh, by Muhammad, for the Muslim, uh, started by Muhammad in the 600s AD. He just ripped off uh, uh, Catholicism, Judaism, and Sabaean Canaanite, and he created his own. See, it shows you have no knowledge of world religions. So what I would say is your argument's massively flawed, and you're, you're not quite understanding what the Bible is actually representing. You need to go back to the drawing board. Would you agree? Okay. Let's go down through. Um, let's see. A uh, bunch of these are just ones we kind of already covered and many of these are just same question um 
Okay, here's one. Okay, here's one. Well, we'll use this one kind of as the last one. We've been going for two hours, 43 minutes. So we'll use this as the last one. You ready? Okay, last one. How will Christians be able to distinguish the false antichrist from Jesus? <laughs> How will Christians be able to distinguish the false antichrist from Jesus? Okay. What does the question in and of itself immediately show in way of where the questioner is coming from, their base understanding of scripture, the knowledge of the Bible, the knowledge of Jesus, the Antichrist, end times, all this stuff. What does it show? The very fact of that they ask this kind of question in this manner, what does it show? It shows that, well, they clearly don't really understand what the Bible says about the sequence of events and how Christ will come again. When Christ does come again, we'll see there's the first, uh, there's the first, uh, uh, sorry, this, the second arrival and the second coming. There's a difference. The second arrival, which is often called the second coming incorrectly is the second arrival as you see he comes in the clouds he comes in the clouds and is the trump and we're taken up to be with him then then uh, the other one is where he comes down on the mount he actually comes down on the mount and he comes back physically and he walks into jerusalem and establishes his reign for the thousand years now how will christians be able to distinguish the false antichrist from jesus well jesus has the nail scar prints in his hands and his feet and the spiral on his side. <laughs> um, and he won't be working by lying signs and wonders like the Antichrist. He won't be loved by all the world like the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be seeking to bring a seven-year peace treaty in the Middle East. Jesus isn't doing that. He'll seek to build the third temple, which Jesus won't be seeking to do that. And he'll uh, he'll uh, uh, sit in the throne of God, calling that he is God, but working by sorceries, which Jesus won't be doing. He'll have his own false prophet, which Jesus won't need prophets. He is God. And that's not how Jesus will be working. And he'll be he, the Antichrist will cause his own image, his idol, to speak, give life to his idol, which Jesus won't be doing. And the Antichrist will be chopping off heads of people that won't accept his mark. Jesus won't be doing that. The Antichrist will only reign for seven years. Jesus will be reigning for a thousand and then forever. Jesus will come in, in Armageddon and destroy the Antichrist and all of his army. The Antichrist will lose. So also is what will be preached. The Antichrist will be preaching universalism. Jesus will be preaching one way, one truth, one life. Jesus will be come, coming from the clouds. The Antichrist will be coming from the UN. Shall I go on? Jesus will be backed up with scripture. Antichrist will be backed up by hell. So, yeah. Okay. You agree? 
All right, so this has been fun. Uh, see if there's anything else that I've missed. Go down through the comments here. Okay. Okay, Vic says, I'm an artist. It's always something that I d- dealt with uh, regarding we're going back and we're talking about the graven images thing. So yeah, as an artist, uh, painting or they're carving or whatever else you're doing like, like that, sculpting, you know, that's all perfectly fine. That's not a problem at all. Uh, it's again in context of the graven images thing is is context of sp- in a spiritual sense of worship where you're making idols you're gonna you're bowing if you start bowing to your art craft uh then you got a problem you start bowing to it worshiping it venerating it and and, and you uh, and you begin serving it you're setting it up as idols then, then you got a bit of a problem but yeah there you go okay so yeah, there we go. So we're going to wrap that up there. Thank you so much for joining in, folks. It's been a great time, a great blast. I had a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, so what can we take away from this? Again, what is your creed? How do you answer questions? What do you base your authority on? It's the word of God and the word of God alone. So get your nose in the book. Get studying the scriptures. Believe what it says. Ignore everything else interpret scripture with scripture alone and so again as i showed you is you slow down break things down pay attention to the word to the sentence the structure the grammar um and you you look at these things and do the word studies and this goes slowly through and you can answer everything there is an answer for absolutely everything in the word of god depend on it sarah goes to wrap that up there Thanks so much for joining in, folks. God bless you. If you appreciate these studies, if you appreciate this, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon. So you only put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content, as well as check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We've got links to all our other platforms and goodies and whatnot. And again, like I said at the very beginning of this, um, just FYI, we will be shutting down our Redbubble account because Redbubble has jacked the prices on everything. We have no control over the prices. They've jacked the prices and uh, made everything just ridiculous and difficult. And they've changed things up with different tier levels. Stuff. It's just, so we're going to be shutting down our Redbubble, just FYI. Um, but we're keeping the Etsy, <clears throat> which on Etsy, like I said, we have the outlaw gospel bookmarks and for a short period now only for the first uh, few uh, purchases of these you'll be getting as you can see on my bible waterproof outlaw gospel stickers that you can put on your bibles or wherever else or your bumper or wherever your mirror and so you'll be getting one of those with the bookmark so just letting you know and yeah, so there we go. So that wraps it up. It's the end of this week as well. So uh, God bless you, folks. God bless you this weekend. Get yourself up to church if you can. If you can't find a church, if you don't have one, then study your Bible. Set aside time uh, on Sunday to to sing the praises, study the Word of God, and to worship the Lord. So set aside some time for yourself for your own devotional time. So. With that, we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much for joining, folks. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.